Hello and welcome to Inflection Point Conversations. I'm Michelle Obeda, an art director and 3D artist. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing experts in the field of art, architecture and visualization. Together, we'll take a deep dive into the disruptive topics that have reached an inflection point in our industry. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to like, rate and subscribe. You can also comment and give feedback. I'd love to reach more people and grow this amazing community. Okay, today I'm talking with Alwyn Hunt. Alwyn works as the Head of Education Partnerships within the 3D and Immersive Division at Adobe. He's also the co-founder of The Rookies, a community of non-professional digital artists. Alwyn began his career in the VFX industry, working as a character texture artist for over 20 years. He's worked at several studios around the world, including Sony, Imageworks, MPC, DNEG, Animal Logic, RSP, and Weta FX. His main film credits include Harry Potter, Watchmen, The Wolfman, Alice in Wonderland, John Carter, The Hobbit 1 and 2, Game of Thrones, Logan, Thor Ragnarok, and Tomb Raider. It's a great list. Alwyn has a passion for the industry and an interest in helping create pathways for emerging artists into leading studios globally. Welcome, Alwyn. Hi, Michelle. Great to finally meet you. Thanks for yeah. having us. I'm so that glad is... to have you on. Um, I have so many interesting things to ask you. That's a really impressive um, list of list of credits that you have there. You've been in industry for a long time, which yeah, doesn't surprise really me. Old. <laughs> <laughs> it's only it's only a good thing. It's only impressive. Um, well, let's get started. Um, I know you've worked on many well-known films. What got you interested in, in visual effects? Yeah, I mean, actually, that list that you, you you sort of rifled off then, you know, that actually, but even before the VFX career, I actually had a, a previous career where I was actually um, a chef. I actually, when I left school, I was telling you just wow. before we jumped online that, um, you know, I grew up in, in sort of rural New Zealand where there wasn't a lot of opportunities. And actually, when I left home, I... Um, sort of uh, got into hospitality and, and trained as a chef. And I actually had a whole nother career that was based in, in, in chefing, uh, which took me to London working in Michelin star restaurants and all that sort of oh, stuff. Wow. So I actually used an art, uh, food art portfolio to get me into art school um, because I always loved the creative process. So I'm going to sort of tell you the the journey in a really condensed format. But yeah, getting into art school, loved the, the sort of traditional art um, and then from that sort of sculpting, modeling, and then got into photography and then Photoshop. And that's kind of when digital art was kind of hitting the, the scenes. Uh, and then I remember seeing something on TV and I, it was early days at ILM talking about visual effects and, and, and things like that. And I was like, what just blew my mind. And actually, so then there were some early courses that were coming out in Sydney uh, that were focusing on, on 3D animation and, and visual effects. So, um, yeah, I begged, borrowed, and stole money to be able to get on those courses, and um, you know, and essentially just changed my whole career. I used the cooking to sort of support myself on the weekends um, while I was, you know, studying. But um, it, re- it really just came from you know, seeing something on TV and and having that creative passion, which was kind of you know at that at that point was you know sort of cutting edge technology, which has always fascinated me and. Um, but to be honest, I didn't know the sort of the, the front to the back end of a computer when I first got into it. Um, so that's kind of how I started was it was just seeing that and and really just um, yeah, jumping on some some of those early courses where I was learning 3D Studio Max and 
Dreamweaver and all sorts of programs where I was just way in over my head. And to be honest, I came out of that and I didn't even have a portfolio of work. I was just, you know, the courses back then were being taught out of manuals that were about that thick. Uh, mm. And, you know, the instructors or lecturers were really just regurgitating information um, out of those manuals. And it wasn't really, um, you know, a rich course, to be honest. Yeah. So so when you um, had your first job in the CGI industry, um, were you experienced only from those courses? Did you pretty much learn most of it on the job? Yes, I pretty much learned most of it on the job. Uh, and, you know, when we talk about, we're talking about how students are finding work and struggling to find work nowadays. Like back then, because I'd already been through a career, I kind of knew what the system or the, you know, the, the game was in terms of mm. being sort of a little bit mature and really just calling studios up and going, hey, do you have any work? I'd love to just come down and and um you know be able to sort of watch artists do some work so i was i was doing a lot of sort of cold calling getting networking getting to know who people were in the industry and at the same time just trying to have some material that i could actually present to them when i got there uh and then you know there was one sort of small studio based in north sydney that said hey you know what they were close to you know where i was um sort of living and they were like oh you must have come down and you know check out the studio and and just because, you know, they realized that I was a good person, that I wasn't really, you know, trying to, that had no underlying motives apart from trying to get into the industry. You know, I sat in on a few of the jobs and was just listening and learning and just kind of observing more than actually working on it. Uh, and then, you know, the next job came around and they're like, hey, you know, you've got some um, some 3D experience. Would you be interested in trying this? And that's that, you know, that first building block. And that's, that's that mm. was just through sheer persistence that um that kind of got me that opportunity but from that first building block then you get something and then you're able to go to the next place and go hey i've done a little bit of work here can i you know so that that's how it sort of all started back then things are different now because you can't just go to a studio and knock on the door and say hey can i just you know like it's a little bit different but um yeah we can talk about what sort of some methods for students are to be able to kind of create those opportunities are nowadays but that's kind yeah. of how it started for me and then from that you know, I got a job and next studio and then had enough work that I could then apply for a company in Sydney called Animal Logic. Um, mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I was working as a generalist. Um, and back then they had a whole division that was focused on commercials. They had the feature animation stuff where they did Happy Feet and all that. But they also had a small division uh, doing high-end commercials. So and that's what you worked in? Yeah, that's what I worked in. And as a 3D generalist, you know, you're kind of like expected to know. And I was I was weighing over my head, you know, like again, learning on the job, just survival. You know, you go home each night, just like, okay, what are the techniques? How do I do this? Try, trying to figure it all out and then go to the next, you know, go into the next day and, and hopefully have some skills that you can kind of, you know, um, bring it all together. But um, you learn a lot very, very quickly and um, in that sort of 3D generalist role. But through that role, I was able to, to figure out that actually my passion was the texturing component, obviously because of my formal training in fine arts and that sort of food, you know, creative aspect that I realized that actually the texturing was being able to create those surfaces and, and, and using Photoshop mm. to, to create those uh, texture maps was kind of the closest thing to the, you know, to that more organic, uh, you know, um, painting and fine yeah. arts um, tradition. Is that how you got into Adobe Substance Painter? 
Because you work for Adobe Gross. Substance, right? Yeah, so that's that's another whole story within itself. Oh, there's another. Yeah, <laughs> Tell yeah, me. <laughs> if, you, if you fast forward, so yeah, got into the industry, you know, got started doing text writing and and all the rest of it. So back back in uh, when, so there's a few softwares that are focused on texturing. So back in the day, you know, early days it was Photoshop. You know, you, everything had to be textured using Photoshop, mm-hmm. and then Maxon had 3D body paint, which was kind of then painting on the model and. That was quite revolutionary at the time, and then Mari from uh, which is you know Foundry, they they came onto the scene, which was technology that came out of WetRFX, um, and I was one of the first, you know early adopters of Mari uh, when I was working in London. Um, so there's always been evolutions in the software, and then yeah, sort of about five years ago when I was back here in Australia, that's when uh, when Substance 3D sort of started making feature developments in the visual effects industry. You know, they sort of forged their teeth in, in games and that was, there was a noticeable shift in the quality of games when Substance uh, was introduced to, to Naughty Dog and a few other studios um, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, the environments where people were like, wow, this is this is amazing. That was predominantly due to, you know, Substance and PBR and, and some of the workflows that were um, adopted by those companies. And then, it moved into visual effects, and then I kind of recognised that it was a, a bit of an, another game changer, as was Mari back in the day, and and that's when I sort of adopted Substance in that visual effects environment. Mm-hmm. So I was doing some work with Algorithmic, who were the original creators of Substance before it got acquired by Adobe. Um, mm-hmm. It was you know I was out here sort of evangelising them, and and and, uh, and then they got uh, acquired by Adobe. So then I sort of ended up as the the sort of the substance 3D guy for ANZ and um, and then Adobe asked if I'd be interested in working for them to to carry on this role. So so then I was torn between sort of the rookie stuff and then I, I was moving out of the industry at that point and going more full-time on the rookies because that was taking mm. off. And so I was kind of at this crossroads of like, okay, cool, we've got the rookies and then this great opportunity with Adobe uh, which I sort of recognised as being good for both. So you know, Adobe um, have I've obviously it, you know has, has opened a lot of doors for me, um, and you know it's 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 also um, really helpful for the rookie stuff as well. Yeah, Substance was fantastic when it, I remember when it first came out when it was algorithmic. Um, I was working in an ArcVis studio. We were doing a VR experience, and so we were going into real time, and I you know, have um, a background in video games and so got very excited. And we we had a department who was also VFX who got really into the Substance Painter, which felt like a bit of a luxury to sit and kind of, um, you know, polish the ends of the woods of the furniture and stuff like that. It was it was so nice. It was really like, it felt like you're really indulging to be able to put camera close. And I mean, the detail that you can get from that, especially with all the PBR material, it was pretty revolutionary. I mean, I'm sure it's come quite a long way since that, I haven't really used it for a while. Yeah, I think, you know, when I talk about Substance 3D Painter or any of those, you know, it's it's the it's the use of ease. When you, when you look at some of the other programs, there's a huge learning curve with a lot of them. And, you know, there's not a lot of great material to be able to take you on that sort of learning journey. The great thing with Substance Painter, and I'm probably going to sound like I'm doing a sales pitch now, but Substance Painter is, you know, if you've used Photoshop, it's, it's what I, you know, call Photoshop for 3D. It's a very mm. similar interface, the layer stack, you're doing a similar, very similar workflow when you're using Substance Painter. 
And I think what that's done or what that's allowed is it's put the creativity back into the artist's hands where they're not worrying about the technical so much. They bring, you know, that passion like you just mentioned there was was a luxury to be able to actually add those beautiful details and not get caught up in the te technical aspects. And that's been a revelation for a lot of, uh, of, of artists that they're actually back doing what they love. And, mm. you know, we're seeing that also in new industries now. So, um, you know, not only in games and visual effects, substance substance is being used in, in, in a lot of different industries now. Yeah. So tell me, you, you co-founded The Rookies. We just um, touched on that briefly. A platform for non-professional digital artists. And you host a competition every year that helps to highlight work of artists starting out in the industry. What made you want to to start that? Yeah, so myself and Andrew McDonald, who's the other co-founder, who's actually also based here in, in South Australia, um, when we were working in London, we were working at a company there called MPC. We were, you know, reviewing a lot of students' demo reels and seeing talent coming out of, you know, the, the sort of the local universities. And there was a lot of schools that were sort of touting themselves as being, you know, number one in teaching visual effects and number one in teaching games and all the rest of it. Um, but the reality was, you know, they had quite a large marketing budget and, you know, the quality of the students that were coming out of some of these training facilities weren't meeting, you know, the the, the sort of the expectations of what industry were requiring. Um, so we were approached by a university back then to kind of help bridge that gap. We also worked with an organization called Skill um, Skillset back in the day. Um, and we were just, we would sort of, we recognized that there was a, a real uh, a gap between these students coming out and what industry required. So we wanted to create this platform for two reasons. One, to help bridge that gap and introduce students into you know concepts of working in the industry um, through running dailies, giving feedback on final projects while they're working at university, really just start introducing them to industry standards early on before they even got into industry. And the second part was to actually celebrate students that were doing really good work from from organization uh, from training organizations through an awards, right? So um, mm -hmm. back in the day, it was called CG Student Awards and we still had, you know, the CG Coach platform. So we went through a whole rebranding to what is known today as the Rookies. But back then, which was 14 years ago, we had CG Coach and CG Student Awards. So they really were two sort of separate entities, but CG Student Awards, uh, that was the one that really took off. And, you know, we started getting lots of entries from students all around the world. And then we realized we kind of had this thing and it was it was great to then be able to, you know, celebrate students because there was no other platform really doing that. Yeah. Uh, the, CG, the CG Coach component uh, we, we, you know, ended up getting pushback from universities because we were giving advice, industry advice, where it not necessarily was lining up with what lecturers and education were sort of teaching because um, for, you know, for various reasons, maybe the, the content was outdated at university, maybe lecturers had been in those positions for too long and weren't coming up to speed with modern sort of techniques and, and tips. So there was, a, there was a bit of a conflict there. But CG, CG Student Awards carried on to what is known as the Rookies platform today. So um, we still, you know, the, the the underlying reason why we created it back then, 
are still relevant today. You know, it's really about community. And I think, you know, even more so today, being connected is, is really paramount in creating opportunities and, um, you know, just supporting you on this journey. Like it's, it's really sad, we, you know, we, CG, CG Society, which has been around forever, you know, there's been a few different platforms um, that have, have always been there for, for our students and for industry professionals to be able to kind of come together and celebrate their I remember work. It. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's closing down. So, you know, there's fewer and fewer of these platforms that mm-hmm. to really help bring people together. So we're, we're quite passionate about um, supporting the community um, and we do that through a number of different, you know, ways on the actual platform itself. But really, um, yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of how it all started. So yeah, fast forward 14 years, and you know, the Rookie Awards last year we had over five and a half thousand entries that were part of the Rookie Awards. Every yeah. single person that enters into that gets some sort of industry feedback through a through a ranking system that um, you know that that they get a digital certificate at the end of it. So it's all about, you know, giving back, supporting these students because they can get really isolated, you know, whether they're doing these courses at home or even in a classroom and not understanding what that global landscape looks like in terms of who they're competing against. So you're able to sort of benchmark yourself against students that are at the same stage as you on a global stage, which is really super important. Yeah. And it's great that you have judges. You have quite a few judges from all different, I mean, different industries we have me i know i mean i've noticed the the quality of work i mean just from like three years ago to now um has gone up really high and i'm I'm wondering have you noticed have you noticed i guess the reason that you started it being that you wanted to raise you know the quality uh, and sort of bridge that gap between you know students graduating have you noticed um universities and colleges actually teaching more you know, um, skills closer to, to, you know, things that's going to be required from people starting out. Have you noticed that too, I guess, over 14 years? Yeah, I think, you know, when we look at the Rookie Awards every year and, and you know, Michelle, honestly, you, you've, you've been a judge and like you said, the quality is just mind-blowing with some of these students mm-hmm. that are coming out. I think there are, stu- there are schools and institutes doing amazing jobs and I think when you look at what that dynamics is, um, there is always close industry contacts or connections within that um, school and industry that are there. They, you know, there's a, there's an open communication about what needs to be taught. There's networking things happening. So there's a real formula with education and industry to be successful, to have that student that is, you know, that is being output at a level that industry want. Right. I think. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then at the other, at the other end of the spectrum, there are still, you know, a lot of universities out there that are, are struggling to keep up. And that's always been the case. You know, there's always new features, software being launched yeah. and releases. And, you know, even more so now with, with AI and how how that's going to be taught. And, you know, it's it's traditionally they've been slow because it is such a, you know, large ship to kind of pivot and change curriculum. You're always bound to, you know, the year that you've already planned to hit. So to try and pivot or change quickly it's they're not agile in that sort of sense um yeah. so when you look when you look at schools that are uh, you know able to adapt very quickly and introduce uh curriculum that is that is relevant they're the ones that are outputting amazing students um so yeah i think it depends on the institute 
depends on how large they are, bureaucracy that they've got to go through to, to make change. Um, some of them are still very, you know, still, still, still uh, lagging behind, which, yeah. which is a concern. And I think that's, again, when you look at the Rookies platform, we have our global school rankings, we have our school directory, we have a lot of resources on there where new people that are trying to find or discover um, where these great schools are, that's a really great resource because obviously we're unbiased. Schools cannot pay to be on our global school rankings. It all comes from the the quality of the students' work and that data that we collect on the on the actual rookie awards. Yeah, uh, and how many schools and universities? The... Sorry, how many schools and universities do you have that are sort of attached to you? So we had over five hundred schools and training facilities right. that said mm-hmm. you know that were particip- participated in the rookie awards last year. Um, so it is a it's globally recognised. It's it's I think you know I don't think I'm wrong in saying that it is the biggest awards out there for creative industries um, involved in, in 3D. Um, yeah. We don't know the other one bigger than that. But, um, yeah, it's it's very competitive now with schools encouraging their students, not only because they want to feature on the rankings, but because it gives their students a lot of exposure. And with exposure can become, you know, comes opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk to students, you can be the best artist sitting in that classroom you know, possibly competing against your classmates, but if no one else knows about your work, you're not going to get those opportunities, right? So you need to understand about networking, your own personal brand, how to build that, how to, what are the channels and avenues where you can present your work to to make sure that you're being um, seen by the right people, which is yeah, which is where those opportunities come. And you have quite a few different categories, don't you? What are the, there's architecture architectural visualization you have fashion you have video games animation what else is there yeah so there's 10 10 yeah, categories 10. so yeah I was, I was hoping you were going to reel them all off for me there <laughs> so we have visual effects 3d animation we have 2d animation we have immersive we have uh 3d product design we have architectural visualization we have motion graphics we have digital fashion um and what else am I forgetting in there? Things is and concept art and illustration and game mm. design and development. That's the ten. So that's, that's pretty broad. That's great. Yeah, well, we're going to actually introduce a few more categories for this year as well. Um, you know, again, looking through the Adobe lens, we see all these new industries that are embracing 3D that obviously companies are going to need talent for. So um, you know, being able to be early and and introducing these categories. We're hopefully you know joining the dots with industry that are uh, looking for you know new recruits and being able to come through the rookie awards and and have the skills that they're looking for. So mm. um, yeah, digital fashion was one that we introduced a couple of years ago because there's a whole movement and shift going on within the the fashion and retail space where they're adopting 3D pipelines and the sustainability issues and all these other. Um, great uh great benefits of adopting 3d uh that we're seeing a massive shift in and in, in, in that sort of industry um and there's you know other industries that are going through that digital transformation at, at the moment as well yeah and um since you have this sort of connection with the schools and universities do you also have a connection with different industries or i guess is that where the platform comes in where people can find the rookies do you reach out to to industries at all 
Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we it's all about joining the dots. Um, obviously, from your experience as being a judge, there is amazing talent that comes through the actual platform itself. Mm-hmm. For a lot of companies, recruitment is super hard. Uh, it's a super hard job to try and find that emerging talent. Um, so it, it is a it's you know it's a it's a great portal for for find, discovering the next you know the next generation of, of amazing talent. So we do you know obviously coming from industry, um, we have a, a really great network of of people that are uh, supporting. And I think you know the key message is with with the rookies platform is so well supported by industry that you know we we have this beautiful ecosystem where people come through the rookies. We've got 14 years of legacy. They've come through. We've given them their break. They've gone on to do, you know, an internship or whatever. And now, you know, these people are running studios or heads of departments, and they want to give back. So it kind of goes in this full cycle of people wanting to give back. So a lot of studios will come to us and go, "Hey, you know, like we'd love to be able to offer a career opportunity because we know that you have a have a great platform for being able to find find talent." So, um, and with the new industries. Well, you know, like I said, we know that there's there's companies that are adopting these three D pipelines that are looking for talent. So if you're able to, you know, join those dots with the company and also what we're offering, then it's a no brainer for a lot of studios and companies. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I feel like um, now more and more as people are online more, there's you know the opportunities to share your work are there, but there's sometimes too many and so it's great to have a platform where there's a lot of different industries in one place and I guess there might be cross-pollination too like someone might be interested in you know um, 3D animation but also realize they want to do immersive design or something like that and sort of see their peers and see the the chats and the forums and get involved there I feel like even just seeing people post like you said the dailies is is a that's a discipline in itself as an artist isn't it sort of you know learning how to how to get the confidence to, to post your work, for example. Absolutely. Um, I mean, even, yeah. even your background, right? So you came from, you were in games before you got into architectural visualization, right? Yeah, yeah. I studied architecture. Then I th- then I got into games. It was sort of by accident because um, I worked at Rockstar Games and I was living in Edinburgh. They were, you know, the biggest company and um, it was just a great place to work. And I learned most of... I learned pretty much everything there on the job. That was a very lucky foot in the door position of like, you know, being at the bottom and learning everything from my colleagues. But, um, you know, without being able to get that kind of foot in the door position, especially if you don't live somewhere where um, these big studios are, you have to do that online, you know? Um, And I think, you know, I've talked a lot about how I'm fortunate enough to have gone on YouTube and just, you know, I don't know how to do this thing, look it up, someone's put tutorial up. I mean, that that in itself is is an amazing platform, I guess, like for YouTube. But um, to have the communication with different other artists around the world, I think... I think if you're if you're somewhere remote or if you're somewhere you know um, a small town or or something and you can't work in one of those big studios if you can't move around the world how do you how do you get to develop your skills it has to be an online community right yeah absolutely yeah and even even from you moving from architectural into the game design development sort of space what skills did you take across from there or was it like a completely new beginning for you or did you did were there relatable skills even from that architectural visualization training into into the games yeah so I went from architecture but I always loved the art side of it 
And then in video games, I was, I got into the environment art. So I was, I was basically making buildings, but um, it was like, uh, I was making buildings that didn't have to exist. So it was sort of like the funnest part for me. Um, and I always liked drawing and painting. So this was like a 3D version of that, essentially. Um, then I went, I went from that into architectural visualization. So then I went Absolutely. into, um, into you know making images and i very quickly got into real time because i'd you know experienced moving around things in a in a video game environment and i just thought as we're visualizing things and the whole point of visualization is to get people to understand the space it just seemed really obvious why don't you do it in real time at the same time unreal engine and i think it was like unity at the time were were coming up and developing these tools and so um so that sort of coincided where i think a lot of arcviz is is related with video games now um and it there's a lot of crossover also back into video games i think a lot of video games are also using more architectural knowledge to make more realistic cities so i feel like those two do cross pollinate i think you could probably like um look at two different industries and and think the same you know i'm sure you could sort of make connections between i don't know films and fashion of course you know or um I don't know. Like, I think there's so much cross-pollination, yeah. which is like the exciting thing is for creatives, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that's what I talk to a lot of students about this, this very topic, actually, because, I mean, you're absolutely right. In games, you know, they actually look for architectural people because those skills absolutely translate across and, and to your experience that that's what happens. Um, and sometimes they're the best artists for those, you know, in, you know, game environments is because they have that sort of traditional. So they they're bringing that experience. Um, and even when you're looking at digital fashion, for example, now, you know, people that have a traditional fashion background training that can understand a little bit of technology and then move into marvelous designer or clothe 3D or browseware or style 3D or any of these digital pattern fashion making software. These these types of people are highly sought after because these are the ones that are driving digital transformation and big and big enterprise, you know, and big fashion labels. Like I'm talking the biggest in the world, right? They're looking for talent that understand this because they've got very established creative teams that are sometimes resistant to change. So that next generation, the one that could be a gaming student that has done marvelous designer that just understands you know how the tech works they are they're a valuable commodity within some of these big organizations and in fact you can you can fly very very quickly and 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 sometimes be more lucrative careers than what games and and visual effects offer so if you're a student and you're struggling right now thinking well how do i get into games and it's it's a really turbulent time in games and visual effects right now and and you know we we're talking about this at the start that I'm talking to a lot of studios and even this year ahead is there's a lot of uncertainty and, and it's, it's taking a while to really ramp up after the, all the strikes that have, uh, have been going mm. on. Um, and, and, you know, even in your experience with architectural visualization in the commercial space, it's really flat, right? No one's going back into no one's, it, there's a real freeze on developments and, and yep. all, there's a lot of, a lot of uncertainties in a lot of different industries but I think as a student, you need to take a step back and actually look at the skills that you're developing and be able to go, where else does this work? There are yep. industries that are flourishing. And actually, if you just if you take a moment, there's opportunities everywhere. And I see that, you know, so yeah. um, it's not all doom and gloom. Sometimes you just need to step out of your bubble 
realize realize what you've got and just you know just be adaptive and be able to be nimble you know and sometimes you yeah. need to go over here to get back over here and and even to your squiggly career path that it sounds like you've gone from architecture to games back into architecture visualization and who knows where next but you need to be uh, open to change to be able to kind of get where you want to go yeah i think it's a great reminder i think that's a that's great advice for people starting out in the industry it's also a great reminder for people with a lot of experience because you know sometimes you can work in your own field and you don't see the other you know the other pathways and the other opportunities and a platform like the rookies is great because you can actually see um you know all the different things that people are doing and i guess it's kind of great to open your eyes to to the different to the different ones you know you always think that your skills are transferable and then my experience has sometimes been that you find out that they're so specialized that it's hard to transfer but actually finding a way to like change your skills so that you can prove because you know like you said sometimes you need just to be given the opportunity to do a thing to show them that you can do the thing right <laughs> exactly yeah exactly um, you just got to back yourself. You know, I think that it's, you know, first and foremost, we're, we're probably our own worst enemies in that sort of yes. imposter syndrome and we're like, oh, not good enough. And, but actually, you know, you've just got to, you just got to step out of that comfort zone and, and challenge yourself and everything always turns out, you know, but you've got to, you've got to keep moving forward, you know? Yeah. I want to ask you, um, before we finish, um, what how do you think the ai tools are changing the digital art industries like do you think there's going to be like an ai um part of the competition would that be one of the categories for example i don't think we're looking at introducing ai as a category at the moment you know we're we're sort of i guess we're united nations on that sort of front at the moment we're just kind of staying anonymous um we sure. you know we have things in place on the platform to identify whether artwork is is being generated by by AI. I think you know there needs to be uh, a real honest, truthful, um, and transparent, I guess, uh, point from somebody that is producing work using those tools. I mean, yeah. we're not, you know, like we're. I mean, obviously, I work with with Adobe, and we have Firefly, and I I love how they've gone about their AI, uh, I guess, structure and processes, and it's all ethically sourced images that have been paid by professional, been, you know, uh, Adobe have paid professional artists for that content. They're only sourcing that database of content that they've paid for. And, and you know, so, so there's ways, but I think at the moment there's real copyright issues with yeah. keeping up with what's going on. So, when you, whenever you see any of these sort of modern uh, or, or you know, trends and, and new technology coming out, there's always, you know, copyright and there's always processes that are always, you know, 10 years behind where the, the tech is. And that's yeah. where you know, companies can capitalize on that slow process and governance and stuff like that. So I think if companies are introducing it as, as Adobe have, then they're being ethically uh, correct in the way that they're doing it. I think there's there's no problem with that. I think we need to embrace the technology. I use it all the time. I've found that it speeds up workflows and and processes for me. Um, if it if it can get me back on doing the creative and the beautiful stuff that I love doing faster without having to sit there and and fudge Photoshop images and kit bash things and whatever it may be. And it helps me to get where I need to go faster um, to, to that, um, then I'm all for it. I yeah. think the concerning part 
And if I go back to education again and how sort of slow they were and, you know, and teaching new versions of software or new software that was coming onto the market and not having students ready for industry, um, that kind of concerns me a little bit about how they're introducing AI and how they're teaching it and what that looks like. Because as we, as we know, software companies will be developing AI within their tools. So I think through natural uh, versions and, and updates to the software, people are going to become familiar with the AI within those within the software itself. Um, you know, and there's going to be, uh, so there's, there's always going to be internal developments going on within software companies and also within studios. You know, studios are looking at this and going, you know, how do we capitalize on this to save time, to save money and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, you just need to be, you have, you have your finger on the pulse, be up to date with what's going on, because even within that, there's going to be opportunity, right? So um, as a student, you just need to keep updated, make sure that you're, you know, you're um, learning, learning the tools and, and, you know, staying informed. I think that's super important. Yeah. That's great. And is there any, I know we've just touched on this already, but any other advice that you'd give a digital artist starting out in the industry now? Um, starting out right now, I think, you know, I think going back to community, I think community will be your strength. Networking is, is key and networking can mean many different things. Networking can be not just only going to an event and, and, you know, meeting people, Networking is going to the rookies and connecting with people. Networking is, you know, um, connecting with people on LinkedIn. Networking is just going to local jams. The more that you can network, it's amazing how good things come out of meeting people. You know, people want to give back. And, and if you're not, you know, trying to be part of that, then you're going to miss out on opportunity. So I think um, networking is, is huge. And if you're not, if you're an introvert and you struggle with that, then, you know, you need to kind of overcome that and, and, and really learn how to, to, you know, step out of that bubble and, and start connecting. Um, I think, you know, my advice is, is, and I've probably given a lot of advice through, through this webinar, but I think taking a step back, having a breath, looking at opportunities where they, you know, could possibly be like, well, like we talked about, there is opportunities yeah. everywhere. Sometimes you need to go sideways to go forward. Um, don't be scared to go sideways. You all always take. There will always be takeaways from even going sideways and opportunities that might present themselves even in that place. Um, when I look at my from my chefing career to where I am today, and if I look back and go like, why? What? What was this journey all about? At each stage, there was a reason why I had to do that. Whether it was being able to deal with pressure in a quick, you know, in a kitchen environment, or being able to multitask, or being able to organize team, the skills that you take at every stage along the way that will then move you to that next point. So, um, yeah, I think I think um, get involved, get involved. Yeah. Be, you got nothing to lose. So yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. I think you've given some great advice and really good insight. And everyone listening should go and check out the rookies. Um, check out the platform, check out the Rookie Awards that are every year and I'll put in all of the links to the video here. So thank you so much for coming and taking the time, Alwyn. Thank you so much. And it was an honour to be on the um, the, the webinar. I've, I've watched a few of them and you're doing a really great job and I love all the uh, people that you've interviewed so far. So um, yeah, I'll help promote it and then hopefully we get some um, some traction with it as well. 
Awesome. Great to hear that. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you.